Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Would you take your Bibles and open them to 1 Peter chapter 1? We're going through a verse-by-verse study in 1 Peter. We're going to pick up where we left off in verse 8 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Remember that the end is eternity. Remember that the end is eternity. So God is working on you and me, fashioning and molding us until eternity. That's the end. The end isn't the end of a crisis. The end isn't the end of a bad situation. The end isn't when things go our way. The end is eternity. And so we're learning, aren't we, that there's an ongoing process that God is working out in our lives through the trials that come our way. That's Peter is writing to a group of people in the midst of great trial, the biggest issue they've ever faced in their life, the biggest trial. And so Pastor Peter is wanting to encourage them. And trials, they grieve us. And they hurt us. And they confuse us. I've often likened, you know, heavy trials like being punched in the gut and you lose your breath. And all that's left is just like, I got to get my next breath. You don't think about anything else. You don't care about anything else. You know, you just want to get your next breath. You want to get your equilibrium back. And trials will do that. But they have a purpose. They're working deep inside of us, into our souls. They're developing character and trust. And I was thinking of that phrase uh, in verse 7, if you pick up in verse 7 in chapter 1, that the genuineness of your faith. So, So there's a preposition there of your faith. What the emphasis is, is that God is bringing out a genuineness so you know that your faith is real. You know, we look at something that's genuine and we're encouraged that it's not fake. And there are things that are very valuable that when we're looking at, we want to make sure this isn't fake. I'm going to be spending a lot of money. I'm going to be investing a lot of time. I don't want to get involved in something that's fake, that's a scam. And you know, we don't want faith that's fake either. We don't want a faith that's a scam. And we don't want to be always doubting ourselves, whether we're saved or not, whether I really believe right, whether I'm... So what does God do? He allows trials into our lives to refine us so that we know the genuineness of our faith. Like your faith is real. Every time you endure a trial, every time you face a trial, you can know that God is developing genuineness. I like that. And there seems to be times in our lives too where we'll do anything to try to get out of trials. I mean, who wouldn't? So we don't want it and we want out. But God is using them to purify and change us. To develop us, to make us a different person. And I know testimony after testimony after testimony is among us now and you guys online you know our church at home right now I know that trials have validated your faith and you are a different person today because of the trial you've endured you're different you you have a different walk a different relationship and that's a good thing even though it came in a very painful way so by way of context let's pick up in verse 6 for the full sentence here of what Peter is writing He says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, which is much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found a praise 
and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So he speaks of Jesus as you haven't seen him. And that would apply to us. We haven't seen. And we have to ask, is it possible to love someone that you haven't seen? Yes, very much so. I think of every parent or grandparent or great-grandparent that loves that baby in the womb and haven't seen him yet, haven't seen her yet, and you fall in love already with that child developing in the womb. I think of the distance that sometimes is between people, that although you don't see them, your love only grows all the more. That's the encouragement, that even though you haven't seen him, you love him. Now, Peter, of course, had the privilege of hanging out with Jesus. He had the privilege that none of us really have had to leave everything and spend literally three years all day, every day with Jesus Christ. Now, I'm sure a lot of that was really encouraging, but I'm sure that a lot of that was very challenging for him. We have a few episodes where he puts his foot in his mouth and he's rebuked. We have a few episodes where he makes mistakes, where he's like, like, so I think all of us were like, yes, 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 I want to spend three years literally all day, every day with Jesus, but we're only thinking of the good parts of that. It would also be very challenging as those weaknesses in our lives would always be among us. I mean, we would always just think, oh, Jesus is here. Oh, what did I say? Oh, I wonder what he's thinking. And of course, him ministering to us. But he ate with the Lord. He lived with them. He walked with them. He worked with them. They developed a friendship and a love together. Peter was drawn to the Lord and was blessed to live with him day and night. And some struggle with this as a believer in Jesus Christ. They struggle with this point that we don't have a physical Jesus with us. He's not with us. He died. He was buried. He rose again. And he ascended into heaven. And he's promised to return. So we're living in that in-between time, waiting for the promise of his soon return. And some people have a difficulty with that distance. You think, how can I ever have the kind of relationship that Peter had when I don't have a physical representation of Jesus, I can't see him, I can't live with him, I can't walk with him, eat with him physically. How can I believe like that without ever seeing Jesus with my own eyes? Well, Jesus anticipated this. Our Savior anticipated the feeling that you may have. This I may be describing you. It's just been one of those issues in your life, just one of those issues of faith. You're like, you're just really struggling because, you know, you, you are able to develop relationships with humans better because they're there, but you've had a hard time developing this relationship with Jesus because he's not physically there. And he anticipated this. He let his disciples know that they didn't have to see him in order to believe in him or be blessed. So turn over to John. Hold your place here in Peter. Turn with me back to the gospel of John here in chapter 20. The gospel of John here in chapter 20. And Jesus anticipated this as you pick up with me in verse 24. John chapter 20, verse 24. He says, Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. 
And the other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in my hands the print of the nails, my finger in the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And here's a sense where, look, I, if, unless I have physical proof, I won't believe. Well, after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them this time. Jesus came, and do, the doors being shut, stood in the midst and said, Peace be to you. And then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but be believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said, Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. So Thomas, he needed this in his life in the context of where he was with all those that had physically seen him. God met him there. And God will meet you, Jesus will meet you and give you that blessed assurance. He says, blessed are those that haven't seen me but believe, which refer to all of us. Now, we've had a personal experience. We've been born again, but Jesus promised a blessing on you and me that we would believe by receiving eyewitness account, or we would be receiving, we believe based on testimony. We believe based on the proclamation of the gospel. We believe based upon the factual truth of the scripture. We believe for a variety of other reasons with the exception of having a physical encounter. He says, you are extra blessed that it doesn't require you to put your hand in his side or it doesn't require you uh, to, to see him physically that you and I, we believe that haven't seen. Now, let me just say this again, if you're struggling with this, there are many things you and I believe in without being able to see physically. Like we take the word of someone else. For example, many of you uh, have never traveled to Australia. I've never traveled to Australia. I had, a, I had a trip scheduled this year to teach at a conference in Australia, but it was canceled. And I purchased airline tickets there. I rearranged my schedule. I had guests lined up to invite to come in, and I didn't, ended up getting canceled. So I, I didn't go. But I've never been there, but I believe Australia exists. I believe it. I believe it for a lot of different evidence. There's a lot of evidence that I believe Australia uh, in, exists, even though I've never physically seen. Well, Ed, you've probably seen a picture of Australia. I've seen a picture, yes. Well, well, I'm sure you've talked to people that live in Australia. I actually did. That's one of the ways I got an invitation. I met a brother, a pastor in Australia. Uh, and so I talked to him, and he told me all about where he's at and where he lives. But I haven't seen Australia. I haven't touched the sand with my hands. I haven't experienced it, but I believe it. And I'm sure there are other cities. You go, well, you know, if I was here to say, New York City doesn't exist. And you're going, oh, yes, it does. And I would say, well, have you been there? Uh, well, well, no. Well, then how do you know it exists? Because of evidence. Evidence is very important. I mean, I think of the atom. And I know that there's microscopes and things now where you can see that, but most of us don't have any access to any of that stuff. So I, I've, I've never literally seen an atom with my naked eye, but I believe in the scientific proof and the testimony of atoms. I think of electricity. I think of wind. Like, I've never seen wind. Have you seen wind? Now, some of you would say, oh, I see wind all the time. Actually, you see the effects of wind. You don't see wind itself itself. 
Well, yeah, I did. I saw it coming through. That was probably dust particles being carried by the wind. Well, I see the, tr- the leaves around. Yeah, you probably see leaves, but that's the effect of wind. But I feel it. I, see the, I, I believe in wind, but I've never seen it. I believe in electricity. I've never seen it. I mean, I've seen it, some outbursts. You know, I've seen some outgrowth of it, maybe some demonstrations of it in the sense, but I don't know how it's all working in the room right now. I can't explain it to you. Uh, radio waves. You know, you must believe in radio, especially you guys on Grace FM. If I said, you guys believe in radio waves and anywhere on this is airing on the radio, you go, yes, yes, yes. Have you seen them? Well, no. Well, then how do you believe they exist? Well, I'm listening to you on the radio right now. Right. There's evidence. Something's getting my voice out to wherever you are around the country, around the world. And so there's a lot in our lives. But imagine all of that so secondary to what Peter says. He says, look, I know you haven't seen Jesus like I have. I've been eyewitness. I know you haven't been. But let me tell you something. You have an extra blessing in your life. That you haven't seen him in your life is one of dependence. It's not weird or unusual to love someone that you haven't seen before or you haven't met. I think of all the long-distance relations, especially around, you know, the wartime, long-distance pen pal relationships where relationships were developed through writing of letters or now through email and even technology with apps and such where there are long-distance relationships, in some cases, someone you've never met before, but you've connected through writing. And I love that because really our love, you can jot it down in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, it really comes down to this. We, it says in 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. So it's all of this explanation really pales in comparison to our response to the love of God. That's why I love God, because he loved me. He reached out to me. He pursued me. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for me and for you. And so what other response can I come and what other response can I offer to God? But then, man, I love, I, I love you because you first loved me. He says in verse nine, or really there, he says, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice. You rejoice with joy that's inexpressible. Why? Because you're, gonna, you're looking forward to receiving the end of your faith. That's what you gotta focus on in the midst of difficulty and trial. It's, it, the more you get consumed by the trial, the more it starts to overwhelm you. And you, you gotta focus, like this is not the end. The end is in eternity. This is not the end. The end is not the trial. The, the, the end is not the issue that you're in the midst of. The end is not the trial. The end is eternity and what God is wanting to accomplish in your life. You're going to be with Jesus. He's going to keep his promise. You, you can put that into language, but you know, it's hard to, exp- it's, if joy is inexpressible, it's like hard to describe, but I look forward to being with the Lord. I look forward to having all of what he's promised come to pass. I look forward that not only will my joy be unexpressible, but I'll be full of glory. It'll just be the whole presence will be full of glory and gladness. I was, you know, just thinking in uh, recent sports, something happened recently. Dodgers won the World Series. Uh, It was very good, very exciting. But, uh, you know, the, the celebration... It just affects a few people. A lot of you didn't watch the game. A lot of you don't care. Sorry about that, but a lot of you didn't care. And you weren't interested. 
And so the celebration is just a few people. It was pretty exciting. You know, everybody's excited. But even with some of the restrictions, they didn't let a lot of people there. And, but it's just, it's just a few people. And it's not inexpressible joy. It's pretty obvious. It's joy and happiness. It wasn't inexpressible. And certainly what was going on in the field is as great as an exploit it is, there may be uh, another team next year that wins or, you know, we may be on a streak that might last for a long, long time every, other, every year that comes, but it still won't be full of glory. I watched it. I watched it all almost to the end. I'm looking at it. It's not full of glory. I mean, it might be man-made glory. It might be temporary glory, but it's going to pass. It's going to come and go. You know, for, for those of us that happen to be Dodger fans, we're only going to have 365 days of sticking it to you. That's it. That's all, just 365 days. It's not for all of eternity. And, you know, we get caught up in these things, don't we? We get super excited in things that aren't going to last forever. We get all excited and rah, 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 and we're on, and yes, 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 and we're yelling, and we're excited, and we're great, but 365 days worth, that's about it. Some of it's even less than that. And then if we get too caught up in it, that's all we'll be about. We won't be about the things of the Lord. We won't be enjoying the presence of the Lord. We won't be enjoying ministering and loving people. And you know, not only in, in the sense of crisis, you know, so you take that crisis, you take the trial and how myopic it can make you, how focused on just what's in front of you, how you forget. And it's just going to be, you know, a few days, really, all eternity. It's just going to be like a few days. You, you know, just like, hey, if you've been in a trial for 10 years, that's still just 3,000 days. I mean, it's a long time, don't get me wrong, but it's just days. Eternity is forever. The presence of the Lord, the, the, the glory of God that we can't even express what we're going through, you're going to receive the end of your faith. As we start in a new chapter in Hebrews, you're going to see, like, we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses that live life by faith. They made it in. We're going to make it in. Jesus Christ has changed your life. Live that way. Trust him in the pain. Receive his strength in your weakness. Share the love of Jesus Christ. Receive the end of your faith day by day, knowing the Lord is coming back. He loves you. You love him. And he's living in me. Turn over now to Philippians, would you? I want you to see this. Philippians, it's been a, a verse that keeps popping up again. It's so encouraging to me. Uh, Pastor Ian was sharing that with communion uh, as we were all taking communion together, chapter 2. And I shared a little bit of it uh, in a message previous to that. But notice in Philippians chapter 2 in verse 12 now, he says, let this mind be in you. He talks about the great, what they call the kenosis passage of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, becoming a human, fully God, fully man. And then he says in chapter, in verse 12, he says, therefore, my beloved, this is Philippians 2, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's God working in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So do things, and again, in the, midst of murm, in the midst of trials and crisis and all the difficulty that's represented in our church right now, in our city, in our state, around our world, this is the word of the Lord. Do all things without murmuring and complaining. It's not characteristic of the believer in a love relationship with Jesus. Do everything without murmuring and complaining. Why? So that you can be blameless, harmless, 
children of God without fault, notice, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Why? So that you can shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that same day of inexpressible joy, full of glory. Now Paul's saying, look guys, come with me. Take, come on, stop complaining. Stop murmuring. Get on with being that harmless, gentle, careful, blameless child of God. You, you know, you're in a crooked generation. You're in a twisted generation. Hold fast God's word. Be that light and shine. Because that day of Christ, there's going to, Paul will have that sense, I'm not having run in vain. I haven't labored in vain. Yes, if I'm being poured out, verse 17, is a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice. So be glad and rejoice with me. That's the pathway of endurance is the joy and the gladness comes without complaining, without murmuring, and just shining the light of the gospel. Circumstances, you gotta understand, in the midst of your trial right now, in the midst of our trial, you, you just gotta in your heart of hearts right now, receive this as unto the Lord and pray over it this week. Things might not change in your life for the better anytime soon. Things may not change for your life and mine anytime soon. That's a reality that we have to embrace. I don't know what God's going to do. And I certainly come to my prayer life with hope in the things I'm facing. But I recognize that God may have a different plan for my life than I have. And so at the end of my prayers, when I say in Jesus' name, most of the time I mean it. I mean in your authority, Jesus. I'm praying for your will to be done on earth, not my will in heaven. I'm praying for you to do with me what you desire. So things may not get better for you. They might get worse. And there might be more oppression there might be more persecution. There might be more freedoms taken away. There may be uh, more pain. There may be more suffering. There may be more loss. You have to understand that the hope is not that your trial will go away. Your hope is in the Lord and his goodness. You go, well, Ed, how, what's the foundation for that? There's a lot of biblical foundations in a theology of suffering, but I'll just give you one. Jesus, as our master, and our chief shepherd went all the way to the cross, not halfway. He went all the way to crucifixion, not halfway. He endured the scourging for you and for me. He died arms wide open. And what was he doing on the cross? Not murmuring and not complaining, but ministering to those thieves that deserved to die on either side of him. All the way to the and you go, well, in the human realm, things did not get better for Jesus. But in the spiritual realm, it was perfect timing and the perfect will of God. Circumstances might change. You're finding it impossible to rejoice in the trials. But there's inexpressible joy that's ours. I don't always understand why I go through what I go through. And I certainly don't always stand, understand why you go through what you go through. It breaks my heart to hear the stories that come through our church, especially recently, just... It's really heavy, hard. And, and my pastor friends around the country, around the world, they're all seeing the same thing. They're all hearing the same thing. I don't always see how God's working in my life, how he's using it. I don't. I don't always get it. But I go through them, and I live with them, and I'm learning day by day to trust God in them. 
I'm learning day by day to surrender my life in a new, fresh way, to just face it. Usually, usually the first hit of spiritual warfare, it doesn't hit my dreams, it hits the moment I wake up. The moment I wake up in the morning, my mind is being assaulted spiritually. The moment. Some of you have that same testimony. Just the moment I wake up. Sometimes I don't even, don't even get to turn my head before the spiritual warfare starts as my mind awakens. But I'll tell you, every morning I wake up, God is faithful to meet me there. He hasn't abandoned me, hasn't abandoned you. And there's joy. The end is eternity. The end isn't the trial. The end is eternity. Things might get better. And we say, amen, Lord. That's one of my prayer. Things might get better. The trial might pass. But it might not. Notice in verse 10, back in Peter now. In verse 10 it says, of this, of this salvation, that's you and me, this salvation, the new covenant, abiding in Christ, of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them, remember that, we learned that a long time ago, that when the prophets were speaking forth the word or writing the scriptures, the Spirit of God was in them. God was using them. They had a taste of what you and I enjoy. He was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Notice, sufferings of Christ, glories that follow. Here's where we have it wrong. We want the glories and no suffering. We want the glories and no suffering. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that glory comes after suffering. The glory of eternity and even the glory of victory. It says in verse 12, to them it was revealed not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who preach the gospel by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things that even the angels desire to look into. You have a relationship with God that the angels don't even have. And they're just tripping out on you and me that we get to enjoy Jesus like we do and they don't get that. That's a piece of relationship they weren't created for. Listen, when you face trials, when heavy trials come into your life, you will face doubts. You will have doubts. You'll begin to ask, is this even worth it? Is God real? Is his word true? Is my faith genuine? For these Christians that Peter's writing to, all they needed to do was bow the knee. That's all they needed to do with a pinch of incense, just bow the knee and say. That's, they didn't have to believe it in their heart. They didn't even have to go. All they had to do was say outwardly that they're loyal to Caesar. That's all they needed to do. Give some ex- outward expression of loyalty by bowing down to an idol, basically a bust of Caesar, and pinch incense and throw it toward the bust and say, yes, I'm loyal to Caesar. He is my God. He is my king. As they saw their friends tortured and their loved ones dying for their faith. They hear the cries and the wails as they're in line waiting for their opportunity. All they needed to do was one compromise. I mean, after all, what would, what would it, I can still hold my faith into my heart and outwardly comply and pinch incense and bow to Caesar. All it takes was, all it would take was one compromise. And at a time like that, when you're faced with compromise, with the temptation of compromise, you want to know that your faith is real. You want to have that confidence. You want to be able to say, yeah, I know that Jesus Christ died 
for me and I'm loyal to him. I'm not loyal to Caesar. And you know, even as in our, in our own day and age, as I see our government, the government of our country, the government of our state, more and more liberties being removed and taken from us as Christians, which again, don't even touch many of the believers around the world, but it's coming. There used to be a day, if you listen to some of the old studies 20 years ago, I'd say, oh, it might come in my generation. I don't know if it'll come in my generation, but it might come in my generation. It has come in my generation, in yours. And more and more and more will be required, perhaps with the threat of death in your life. The threat of death, maybe the threat of jail. And you too will be where the believers are. And that, I'll tell you what, when you're in the midst of a trial like that, that's when you know whether you believe or not. That's who Peter's writing to. I mean, we really haven't really experienced that yet. The things that, that we're facing are rather minor, more inconvenient than anything. But believers are faced torture and death and beatings all around the world. As I speak... There are underground churches in China. There are, there are underground churches in North Korea that are actually praying for us tonight, for our country, for the believers in the United States to wake up to the gospel, to the reality of the power of the gospel that changes lives, like Paul said in, first, in, in Romans chapter 1. They're praying for us. Imagine that. We're praying about taking short-term trips, singing long-term missionaries, yahoo. And people are praying to send long-term missionaries to us, to our city, to our country. And we say, oh no, Lord. The, I know the harvest is plentiful, but we are going to work on laborers not being few. We're going to be surrendering our lives. And as we see these things happen, there'll be more and more special interest groups. There'll be more and more legal action. There'll be more and more things that directly come against the church. You can count on it. Don't worry about maybe it'll come. It's coming. And it may come as a wave. It may come continually as it has been in a little trickle. But just think in the last 10 years how radically the attitude of our culture is toward the church than it was just 10 years ago. To pastors in particular. You know, now when they talk about the most hated people, <laughs> when they do those surveys of the most untrustworthy hated people, and no offense if this is what you do for a living, okay? No offense. Now, technically, when you say no offense, there's no offense, okay? So whenever you precede something, there's no offense. But they say on those lists, used car dealers, lawyers, and now pastors are on that list as untrustworthy charlatans, liars, scammers. That's our culture. That's, that's how they view Christianity. Of course, in a general sense, how do they view Christianity? You guys, you believe in fairy tales, fables. You're not smart. You know, how dumb could you be believing those things? Don't you know? And then you can fill in the blanks. Don't you know science? Don't you know theory? Don't you know higher education? Don't you know criti critical theory? Don't you know? Don't you know? And there you are going, ah, oh, just... I just know I was blind, but now I see. I don't know how you can talk me out of that because I was blind, man. I know God's power is real. I have a relationship with him. They go, well, how do you know? Because, you know, I've been in some major trials and God has been faithful. I've, I've got a real faith. 
I don't need your validity that I have a real faith. God has validated my faith. And in case I ever doubt it, he allows another trial to come into my life. So I'll cry out to him and I'll trust him. And I'll say, God, I love you. And I'm running to you and I'm pressing in. And we see the things happening. I'm not enjoying it. I don't like seeing it. And I'm not personally looking forward to more in one respect. But I'm, not also, I'm also not blind to the direction our country's going, the government. So you guys, as the nation turns left, and as the nation turns right, goes off track, you've got to know that you believe and why you believe it. You've got to be strong and be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within you. In gentleness, not murmuring and complaining. That's going to get you nowhere. No doors are open through murmuring and complaining. But through gentleness and love and compassion, doors are wide open. Wide open. People are hurting. They're going through it, man. They're struggling. They're fearful. And when they look to the church, they come in here. They come to a service right now. You might be here right now listening. You might, listen, you might be the person I'm describing. I don't know your name yet. And you came in this building, you came on this station, you watched online because you want to hear hope. And I'm here to declare to you that Jesus Christ is the hope of your life. That he died for your sins. For your sins. Mine. And he can rescue you from all that you're in and all that you're wrestling with. I don't want you to trust in man. I don't want you to trust in some political system. I don't want you to trust in your bank account or your education. I don't want you to trust even in your Bible knowledge. I want you to trust in the Lord. I want you to live for Him. I want you to love Him. Why? Because He first loved you. I want you to know that the end is not the crisis. The end is eternity. That even the things that we get to enjoy now are very temporary. The Spirit of Christ was speaking even back in the Old Testament about the saving power of God, inspiring the Scriptures. They didn't have the whole picture. We know now. They didn't see it all. We get to see it. How much more does that affirm our faith? With testimony after testimony. Even Peter, if you want to switch, switch over to 2 Peter chapter 1, even in Peter's second letter, he had to say this, because it was already happening. These accusations were already coming, where he said, I just want you guys to know, we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were already accusing them of following fairy tales and fables in the first century. And Jesus hung out with the guy for three years. Oh, that's not true. What are you talking about? All I know is I was blind and now I see. What, what do you mean? You weren't there. You don't know the old Ed. But a lot of people do. And they can testify. But we don't need any of those witnesses to testify. I was there. And I know God saved my soul. And changed my life. And set in course, set in motion the direction of my entire family both backwards and forwards. Not because of any good deed I did, but because of the degree of how lost I was. Lost. Absolutely gone. And could it be today 
that the trouble in your life is God's tool to drive you to Christ? Could it be today the inconvenience is to drive you to Christ? Could it be today the hardship is to drive you to Christ? Maybe you've always relied upon yourself and maybe you've always relied upon your resources and your strengths and your smarts because you know, you're super smart or maybe you were born into a family that always had money and so you've, done, you've just relied on that. Maybe you've had all of these things and you just know even now that they bring no hope no lasting, there's no inexpressible joy, maybe a little bit of happiness for 365 days, a little bit of happiness, great, but not inexpressible joy. Oh, maybe a little bit of spotlight and, you know, the cameras are on you for a little while, but not glory. No, not glory in the presence of God. The kind of glory that causes a person to fall down on their face and say, holy, holy, like here I am, Lord, send me. I'm not worthy to stand in your presence. I, I don't, I, I can't handle what I'm seeing and experience. You don't get that in the world. And could it just be that the trial that you are facing, the trial that our country is facing, the trial that our world is facing is God's tool to draw you to himself so that finally you'll surrender. That's what Peter's saying here. Like, the end is not now. The end is eternity. And the guys that came before us, they want to experience what you have. And the angels, they're tripping out on you. They just don't understand it. I'm sure there's going to be some testimonies of angels. Like, they just don't understand how, how blessed you are what benefits you have in Christ, what the new covenant has brought to you, and you're doing nothing with it. Nothing. Even here at Calvary Chapel, nothing. Instead, many are taking the gift of the new covenant and murmuring and complaining and not shining a light. And, and the angels, I'm sure, is like, I don't get it. I know as a pastor, there are times where I say, I don't get it. I don't understand. I mean, I do theologically. I understand the flesh. I have my own flesh. I understand the weakness. I, I, I mean, in that sense, I understand. But in many other ways, I don't understand the, all the division. I don't get it. I don't understand how many people putting their hope in man when the Bible couldn't be clearer. The Bible couldn't be clearer that our hope is not in man. But so many is hope in man, hope in man, hope in man, hope in man. No, God has for you something greater. Genuineness of faith, joy inexpressible, this time of full of glory. I mean, you think to have so much joy and you can't even explain it. Same thing, same idea, right? When you have a peace that passes all understanding, like everything's all around you, swirling around, and you just got that solid, steady peace. And then people are asking you, what is wrong? If I was you, I'd be freaking out right now. And that's the open door, right? It's like, oh, let me tell you why I'm not freaking out. I have a God in heaven that loves me, who takes care of me. He's responsible for my life. Yeah, but you know, the bill's coming due next month. I, I know, I know the bill's coming due. But my Bible, my God says that he's going to provide for all of my needs. So he told me not to worry about tomorrow. He said, if I pray to him and I lay my anxieties and worries in him, well, you get anxious and worry? Oh, yeah. How do you think I get peace? I take my anxiety and my worry to the God that I trust. Well, why did you do that? Because the Bible tells me to. 
It says, be anxious for nothing, but in all things, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will do what? Guard your hearts, your emotions, and your minds, how you're thinking, in Christ Jesus. And this is our time to shine, church. This is it. This is our time to shine. Oh, it doesn't even have to be this present crisis. You're alive right now. Anybody that's alive, say amen. Amen. This is your time to shine. You're alive. And we go forth with the gospel. Because the end is not now. The end is eternity. And we're going to be busy about the Father's business. Amen? It's good stuff. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of serving you and for the opportunity to infiltrate our society in various ways with the gospel. Never forgetting it's gospel first, it's gospel second, and it's gospel always. Beginning, middle, and end. And I pray, God, for our country. I pray for the current leaders, any future leaders. I pray for those of us that have the privilege of voting, that can, those that might be running for office. I pray for the proposal, amendment, whatever it is we're voting for that would stop a late-term abortions, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name that would pass in our state. You would save lives in the womb. God, I pray that you would show mercy on us as a country that's turned our back upon you. And that we as believers, one by one, our homes would be sanctuaries dedicated to you. And if you're here tonight and never given your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to do that. You came here looking for hope. We have hope. We have hope for you. His name is Jesus Christ. And today, if you'll turn away your life from sin, that behavior that has put you at odds against God, and just admit that you're not, you're not right with God. Just admit it. There's a Bible word for that. It's called confession. You just confess it. Just talk to God. You don't confess it to man. You confess it to God. And if you'll admit and confess that sin and repent, that's another Bible word. Don't ever be afraid of Bible words, ever. They're good, and they're easy to remember. Repentance means to turn away. Jesus, he came preaching repentance. You need to repent, and God will receive you. Believe me. I don't care how bad you are. I don't care what you walked in here, what you've been into, where you were this morning. I know a couple weeks ago we had a brother in here that was two hours sober. Think about that. Glad he's here. Maybe you're two hours something. Maybe you're two days something, and God's like bringing you, like, okay, let's go all the way. So if you're here tonight, and you say, Ed, I desire, I want to follow God with my life. Would you just stand to your feet? I want to pray with you before we head out. You guys online as well. I know I don't see you, but I want you to acknowledge us. Get up where you are if it's possible. Stand. Because it's like a symbolic thing of taking a stand for Jesus. You guys on the radio as well, wherever you are around the country, around the world, God's word will not return empty. He loves you. He wants to be in relationship with you. Truly, really, the real deal. He wants to forgive you of your sin, remove that shame and guilt. Is there anyone here tonight? I want to pray with you. I want to help you pray. The Bible says if you confess with the mouth, your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I don't want to miss you, so just give me a chance and just say, hey, that's me, Ed that today would be the day. Now would be the time. Now, now is the time where you hear my voice. God has got your attention. 
You go, oh, you know, maybe Ed, next week, Ed. Well, you know what? You may not have next week. I'm not trying to scare you or anything. I'm just telling you the facts. You may not have tomorrow. I don't know. You may not. Today's the day. And God is drawing you in, change you from the inside out. And so just for the sake of those who respond, listen, pray to God right now. You can say, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I believe you sent Jesus Christ to live for me, to die for me. And I believe he rose again from the dead to save my soul. And I dedicate my life to following you, God. You know, God hears that prayer, that conversation, that, that cry of help. Your hope is not in man. It's not in me as a pastor or even as a church. Your hope is in God. And it's a real true hope that you'll learn about over time. So whether you stood or not, the Lord heard your prayer and receives you to himself. Let's all stand together, church, and we'll sing this song. Pastors will be up here to pray with you, encourage you. If you want to take a few moments to encourage each other after the song, after Emily leads us in a song, then you can do that. Um, but be encouraged. Remember, as, as, you see num- as you see the news things, I know there's all kinds of responses, but please let one of the responses be to pray for the fearful. Would you let one of the responses be to pray for the grieving? Let one of the responses be to ask God how he wants to use you to reach. As these things are going and everybody's fearful and afraid, they really are fearful and afraid, church. They really are. And it's not for our business to judge them or convince them or send them a YouTube video that you found. That's not our business. Our business is to encourage them with the comfort of God. That's our business. That's the church. Who else is going to comfort them with the comfort of God if believers don't? And how will you ever know the comfort of God unless you experience it yourself? It all works together. And so I know all the things, you know, and uh, the way the media does things and influence, I get it. I'm not dumb. But I know my calling's higher. And so is yours. It's not just a pastor thing. We are the priesthood of the saint. We are, we are the church. You are the church. And he wants to bring hope into very hopeless situations that are very fearful. And one of the things I just want you to pray for is, you know, Pastor Jason, he uh, moved on uh, recently, as you guys know, not too long, a couple months ago, and he went to work in uh, some um, assisted living. And they're the forgotten, aren't they? I was talking to him not too long ago. They're the forgotten. And they're super fearful. And now what some of them are living for is just that visit once a month from their family and now they can't even get that and so just pray for doors to open pray for even back doors to open maybe you're the one that's driving by and just like hey man can I visit you go oh they'll say no well keep knocking until somebody says yes I remember I had to do a visit not too long ago of a man that was on his uh on, on his deathbed he ended up going home to be with the Lord and um I got in man just put it that way I'm not going to give you all the details, but I got in, and I spent some time with them. So you can get in. You can get in. You can get in. Whatever the Lord's going to take you, he's going to make a way where there is no way. In the church, we need to be mobilized. It's not just gathering together. Great, we're gathering together. Now what? Now what, church? It's a church gathered. Why? To be the church scattered. So do it in Jesus' name. Amen? God bless you guys. 
We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.